Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the ninth chapter of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, as was read this morning, I want to remind you that as we think in terms of Christmas and, and what a wonderful time it is, and I mentioned that my daughter was, was over yesterday and uh, she was sitting in the living room and she had a pad in front of her. And I said, what are you doing, honey? And she said, <laughs> making a list. And, and isn't that true? Isn't that the way we, we, we perceive Christmas? That as soon as December comes, we think of the list. What we're going to get. And I wonder if we would allow God by his spirit to do some bit of a transformation so that in, in, in even where, we, where you're sitting now, that you're going to make, make a, a change. I want to talk and to think about what I'd like to give. To think of someone that you can, you can do something to enrich their lives that they have no possibility of repaying you because you're not looking for returns. You're looking for the joy of serving someone else. I, 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 did, I did something for, uh, I shouldn't say I, we did, Lois and I, did something for the, the, the missions. And I went into the mission, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting, it's, it's funny. that the, the human heart is so full of pride. When I was going there, I wanted to dress up. I didn't want to look like, a, like, like I was going in there for stuff. You know, how, how terrible we are. So I, 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 had to, I had to really change my thinking. Are you trying to make an impression? Or are you trying to serve? I trust that, how, that is how we will see Christmas this year and in the years to come. That has nothing to do with the message. I just thought of that. Isaiah chapter 9. We know mostly verse 6. But I want to suggest to you that Isaiah chapter 9 really begins in Isaiah chapter 8. From verse 11 to Isaiah 9 through the end of the chapter. And we will be looking at that throughout the month of December until Christmas morning or on the, 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 the Sunday before Christmas. My, my reason for this is because somehow we have gotten used to the Christmas story. Haven't we? The Christmas story. Uh, we, we think of it in the same way we think of, of Cinderella. The same way we think perhaps of... Um, any of the stories that we were so used to as kids. And those stories now have actually exited themselves from our minds because we are adults now. We don't want to think in terms of, of you know, the old lady who lived in a shoe. But this is not a story. You see, a story is something that, that you can develop for the sake of, of anything. 
I remember when our, our son was a little boy, he would sleep for four hours a night, no matter what time of the night you put him in bed. We didn't give him afternoon naps or anything because he would be up. If we put him in bed at 10 o'clock, he would be up by 2 o'clock in the morning. And he had one favorite place when he woke up, between his mother and me. <laughs> and, and, and almost every night he would do this, he would have one request. Daddy, please tell me a story. And, and, and I had one story. There was a man who was born in Central America and a, a lady who was born in, in California. And they didn't know each other. And the man who was born in Central America moved to Canada and, and went to school there. And the lady who was born in Oakland, California moved to Oregon. And in a wonderful way, God brought these two people together in a place called Three Hills, Alberta. And they loved each other. And they became husband and wife. And that's how you came along. Amen. <laughs> I changed that story over and over in different ways, I tell you. That's a story. <laughs> This is no story. When we, when we read, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. That's not the imaginative idea of Isaiah. If, if I want you to look in verse 11 of chapter 8 for a moment. Verse 11. Look at what these words say. Because this is the context. You look at verse chapter 9, verse 1, it begins with a conjunction, a connection. But verse 11 of chapter 8 says this. And what we're going to read for the rest of the chapter is what was said to Isaiah. For thus the Lord spoke to me with a mighty power and instructed me. For thus the Lord spoke to me with a mighty power. When, when, when he spoke, there was, there was like thunder. When he spoke, there was such authority with what he was saying. I quaked within myself because I've never heard anyone speaking in that way before. He describes what's happening and then we get to chapter nine, uh, chapter 9 and verse 6, and we read about the names. I understand that there's a network of expectant mothers. And when they get together in this network, what they do is to share with one another the names that are common, the names that are acceptable for the naming of their expected child or children, as the case may be. There are over a million mothers on that line, I don't know that all of them are expectant mothers, but they are people who are interested in it. And so for the year 2012, they came up with the most popular names for babies. For boys, the most popular was Aiden, Jackson, and Ethan. 
Those were the most popular boys' names in the year 2012. For girls, Sophia, which, by the way, is for the second year in a row. Sophia, the most popular name. Emma, most popular name. Olivia, the most popular name. And then there was Appa. And then I heard a name and I thought, nobody would name their kid. Nobody would name their kid. Hashtag. <laughs> but someone did. I, I, I went to Steve this morning and asked, what is that word? Because it's a computer name. Hashtag. If my parents had done that to me, I'd sue them. <laughs> Hashtag. It sounds like they hated you. Like you were nothing more than a bother to them. The names. What do we do when we name someone? I, I want to suggest to you, my friends, that when we get to Isaiah chapter 6, God is doing something about our world. He's doing something about our lives. And when we get to chapter 9, verse 6, and he begins to tell us how he's going to do this, he's going to do it just totally different from the world. We send conquerors into the world to conquer people. You have only to be watching your television and see what's happening in Egypt, what's happening in Syria. But when God was going to do something about the condition of the world, he sent a baby. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. <laughs> I, I want to suggest something to you about what we are, we are thinking about. First of all, that, that what God is saying to Isaiah, he's saying 750 years before the event. It's not something that is about to take place or has taken place. Seven centuries will go by. And one wonders, did God really mean what he said to Isaiah? Can we trust a promise that it's going to take all this time to be fulfilled? Look at all the things that are happening between. But God knew what he was doing. And I want you to consider with me for the next few moments two things about this name. The name. I want you to think of the mystery of the name. A mystery is not, is not something that is spooky. A mystery is something that is concealed and needs to be revealed before it could be understood. And that's what we have in this name. The name is always concerned with the person, with the character either in anticipation or in actuality. So he begins by what I call the debut of this name. He introduces it. And what caught my attention in the text is this, verse 6. The child will be born and you shall call. His name will be called. Let me, let me suggest to you, my friends, that, that when God said his name shall be called, it's not that he will become those things when he is born. But the reason that he will be called that is because he has always been that. 
So when, when he comes, he's going to display something that is not known to human beings. When we look in a few minutes at the condition into which the child was being sent, you will see that that is the case. So what is meant by this, this name? Why is, was the name given? Because you see, only God could name these names because only God knows the nature of these names. It's very interesting. Verse 7 of chapter 9 says this. All that God has promised about the name, about the child being born, and the way the child is going to be born. And in chapter 7, verse 14, it tells us that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a child. All this. How will this take place? Look at what the text says. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. Now, what is the zeal of the Lord? The zeal of the Lord, my friends, in chapter 7 is this. God, caring about his own reputation and concern, passionately desires and design for these things to happen, and they will. And they will. He's not going to depend upon upon time. He's not going to depend upon circumstances. It will happen. The child will be born. The child will be born of a virgin. And the name shall be called. And God, because of the zeal for what his own program and person, his own, his, his own design, his own will, his own concern, his own love. That's what the word zeal means. It is coming out from God. It is not something made by Isaiah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so it, it's an introduction Christmas is an introduction of God going public to the world. Look at the description of the name. His name shall be called. It's a declaration. It's an announcement. When we were in Israel, we went to the place where it is assumed that the announcement was made to Mary. And I'm going to tell you, I'm glad the place was not like it was then. Because when we got down there, they were burning all kinds of incense and, and, and candles and stuff. And it's, it was down at the bottom of the somewhere, and I just about passed out. Mary didn't need that kind of a situation when the announcement was made. No one knows where she was. But God knew where she was. And the angel began to talk to Mary. And Mary asked questions that only an innocent person would ask. How can this be? And then the answer was given, with God, nothing is impossible. So who is this one? What's the description of his name? His name shall be called. God will make sure. Wonderful. Wonderful. Literally, his name is a wonder. It is something that is, that is incapable of being fully grasped by those to whom it is said. I read my notes here. I remember, do you remember the names of the first Russian um, spaceships that went up back in 1959-60? You remember what they were called? Sputnik. Sputnik, and a Russian couple had twins, 
and they named the babies. The first one that came out of the womb was named Sputnik 1. <laughs> and the second one, well, I don't need to tell you, you know how to count. <laughs> what, 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 what is God saying? Listen, the word wonder means to be separate from. This, this, this one that is born is separate from every other being. Every other being has been created. This being has always been. It is distinguished from all other birth. In telling us that his birth has no precedence, no equal, no birth before or after can ever be said to be a wonder in the sense that the one who came out of the womb is the one who has brought into existence the very womb from which it came. His name shall be called Wonderful. Wonderful. We'll see it in a few minutes again. Because I want you to look not only at the description of the name and what that meant. I want you to look at the depth of the name. The depth of the name. In Judges chapter 13 verse 18. Manoah sees what is known, what is called the angel of the Lord. And whenever you see that term, the angel of the Lord in the Bible, it is always talking about Christ, pre-incarnate revelation before he was born. So the angel of the Lord is always at a being who is a divine being. So Manoah encounters this angel of the Lord, this divine being, and he asks the question, what is your name? Listen to the response. Why do you ask my name, seeing that it is secret? Didn't say a secret. Secret. What he meant was seeing it is a mystery. Because the name Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. That name is deeper than any human mind can go. It is not knowable except by revelation. Listen to some of the depth of this name. His name shall be called the Almighty Son. His name shall be called the Word Incarnate. His, word, his name shall be called a prophet. His name shall be called a priest. His name shall be called a redeemer. His name shall be called Lord. His name shall be called King. The depth of that name. That name, my friends, that answers to every human need. I like what St. Paul does in 1 Corinthians 2. In 1 Corinthians 2, St. Paul meets this, this, this church, this new baby church, full of the, the, the content of the world in which it exists. And listen to what Paul says. I desire to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, isn't that an interesting thought? I desire to know nothing among you Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then you read the rest of the book and he talks about everything under the sun. Why? 
Because, my friends, when everything under the sun is seen in the light of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the world begins to make sense. Outside of that, it doesn't. You know, those of you who follow football know what happened in Kansas City yesterday morning. You look at this, this, this fella, big and strong, and, and, and having everything that anyone could want. Shot his girlfriend to death, went to the stadium, talked to the coaches, thanked them for all they had done for him, and put a bullet in his own head. That's the world we live in, friends. That's the world in which this baby came. That is, the, that is the depth of that name. What was it that that fellow needed? He needed a counselor. Someone who could speak to the deep, deep brokenness he felt inside. Let me suggest to you, friends, whenever someone commits suicide, it is because they have lost all sense of hope. And Christmas sometimes is said to be the loneliest time for many, many people. And that's because we're looking at the effects of Christmas, not upon the cause for Christmas. His name shall be called Wonderful. And such depth to that name, such depth. The more you live, the more you abide in this word, you begin to discover names about this one. In fact, in the book of Revelation, what does he, what does he name himself? I am the Alpha and the Omega. Everything within time can find their meaning and their existence and their purpose in me. So there is, there is the name. His name shall be called Wonderful, because there's mystery to that name. But this name is also a name of ministry. Also a name of ministry. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The word counsel means to give advice. But, you know, as I think of that, advice can be cheap. Someone said that the, 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 the optimist who tells you cheer up things can be better is one who's not facing anything difficult at the time. See, advice can be cheap. But what the word means to you, remember what Jesus said to his disciples? Now I call you friends if you do what I have said to you. We are not pals. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to be our pal. He came in to be our savior. He came in to be our redeemer, to be our priest, to be our prophet, to be our Lord, to be our King. That's why he came. But in that, in, that, in that wonderful privileged position we find ourselves in, the one who is our counselor is the one who made the universe. The wonder of it all is that when he does anything at all, he does it in such a way that it causes not only those who experience it, but those who see it to say, this can be nothing but the hand of God. Only God could do that. Let, let's look at the superiority of his counsel. 
His counsel is superior to anything that human beings can ever, ever do. Romans 11, 33 and 34. Oh, the depth, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. They are past finding out who has been a counselor to God or who has informed him. Not Gabriel. No angel has counseled with God to meet to see what can be done. No one has informed him. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 13. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor informed him? I, I looked just now at some of your faces as I was talking about this Kansas City Chief um, football player. And some of you are looking, really? I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't hear that. Listen, friends, this counselor is so superior that nothing, nothing, nothing surprises him. Because, you see, he is the God who knows, who knows two things about his counsel. His counsel is superior because his wisdom is inherent, not learned. His wisdom is inherent, not learned. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 29. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who has made his counsel wonderful and his wisdom great. God has never done, God has never said, God has never directed, God has never withheld, God has never revealed. At any point has God ever had to do anything that he end up saying, oops, I shouldn't have done that. God never has to do that, friends. God is the one comprehensive, eternal know, now who knows, who sees the end from the beginning. And he puts everything in order. Your life and mine. The time of the birth of his, of his son's coming. Everything he does in such a way that they will fall. His zeal will make sure that what he promises you, he accomplishes. His wisdom is inherent, not learned. No one instructs him. That to me is a remarkable, remarkable statement. But secondly, his wisdom is divine, not human. His wisdom is divine, not human. Isaiah 58 verses 8 to 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts, my ways above you. You know, I, I love to think of little puny men like Richard Dawkins. Who sees, he lives in a world that has no time for God. And he thinks that any idea about the talking of a God is mere delusion. And every time I read that, it reminds me of Joseph, uh, about um, Moses before the Pharaoh. When Moses went to the Pharaoh and he said, the Lord has sent me to you. And he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? 
Moses didn't answer with words, as I am trying to do now. But my friends, you know who the Lord is that you should obey him? Because if he chooses to take away your breath at this moment, you have none. You have none. His wisdom is divine. It's not contaminated. When Jesus spoke, my friends, you know what they said? All who heard him were amazed. They saw him in the temple disputing with those who had learned. And they were amazed that a 12-year-old boy could speak about the depth of life and living and life beyond the grave as this 12-year-old boy was doing. His name is Wonderful Counselor. His wisdom is not human. It's divine. In John 7, 40, it is said, when they heard him, never, never a man spake like this man. I love so much when the, disciples, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees try to get Christ into a corner. They ask him, shall we pay tax or shall we just give to the temple? And Jesus called for a coin and he said, whose inscription is on it? See, they wanted to see if they could trap him. Whose inscription is on it? And they said, Caesar, and Jesus said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. Jesus said, if you live in a world, you have responsibilities to the world, but ultimately you have responsibilities to God. Wisdom. Not human. Divine. So, the superiority of his counsel. Think, my friends, we're changing almost Every moral and ethical foundation upon which this country was built is going into a metamorphosis at this moment. We are redefining the family, redefining responsibilities. We're redefining everything about life when they were brought into existence by a superior counselor, a superior wisdom. Let's look at the authority of his counseling. The authority of his counsel, not only the superiority, superiority of it, but the authority. In other words, when he speaks, he speaks to the issue and brings about wholeness. He addresses, my friends, he addresses the source of human suffering in Mark 2, 4 and 5. They brought the man who was suffering from the palsy, a disease that shakes your hand, in which you have no control. And they brought the man and they put him before Jesus. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees stood around. What is he going to do now? And I want you to see what Jesus did. The man had a physical malady. It was obvious. The human eyes and the human brain could only deal with what it sees. And so they tried to address the disease of the man. But what did Jesus do? Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. You see, my friends, this counselor knows the cause of human suffering. It might not be that the man was sinning as such, but sin is at the root of suffering. 
Sin is at the root of destruction. Sin is at the root of division. And what Jesus did, he was not only going to deal with what the human mind could see, he was going to deal with what only the Son of God could see. He knew what was in man. And he spoke to the issue. In verse 5 of Mark 2, he said that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. Isn't that the greatest need we have, friends? To know that for our failures, to know that for, for uh, the, the, the terrible experiences in life. But that's a word that is foreign to us today, isn't it? Who wants to hear about sin? Sin having to do with a violation of divine law that was given to us. Get rid of the Ten Commandments and I can live the way I want. Get rid of God and I don't need to worry about meaning. Get rid of the Bible and I don't need to worry about ethics. And I want to live in a world where it's only me. In 1960, Dr. He was known as Dr. Moore. M-O-W-E-R. He was a brilliant, brilliant psychologist. Taught at Harvard. Taught at Princeton. And and in 1960, he wrote a piece. And he's by no means by his own confession. He's a Jew who did not believe in Christianity. But listen to what he writes, or what he wrote. For several decades, we psychologists looked upon the whole matter of sin and moral accountability as a great incubus and acclaimed our liberation as its as epoch making but at length we have discovered that to be free in this sense that is to be free from the idea of sin to be free from the idea of moral responsibility he said to be free like that is to have the excuse for being sick rather than being sinful is to court the danger of becoming lost. The danger is, I believe, betokened by the widespread interest in existentialism, the now, what I think, what I want, what I believe, which we are presently witnessing in becoming amoral, A-M-O-R-A-L, in becoming amoral, ethically neutral and free, we have cut the very root of our being. Lost in the deepest sense of our selfhood and identity and with neurotic, we uh, themselves, we find ourselves asking, who am I? What is my destiny? What does life mean? Get away from sin, my friends, and we begin to ask questions about life that only the wonderful counselor can answer. At the, by the way, in spite of what Dr. Moore wrote here, he ended up committing suicide. No hope. 
a very humorous thing at the end of his, his piece in the, in the uh, psychological journal. He, he quoted Anna Russell. <laughs> at three, I had a feeling of ambivalence toward my brothers. And so it follows naturally, I poisoned all my lovers. But now I'm happy I have learned the lesson this has taught, that everything that I do wrong is someone else's fault. That's life. No accountability. No one to answer to. I'm in a world that is my world. And I set the standards. I set the values. And my friends, the question is, how can I set the values when I don't even know what the values are? His name shall be called Wonderful. A wonderful counselor. He speaks with such authority that just before he lost his breath, the thief on the cross asked the question, or asked for permission, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And listen to this voice of authority. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's his authority. So when Jesus speaks of our nature, he speaks what is right. When Jesus speaks about our condition, he speaks what is right. And listen, when Jesus speaks of eternity, he speaks with absolute knowledge. From there, he came into our world. You know what the context? You know what the context of Isaiah chapter 9 is? The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. The wonderful coming of Christ. My friends, do you know him this morning? Are you still in distress? Are you still in darkness? Are you in despair? Have you come here this morning hoping to hear something that will speak to you? I trust that God by his spirit has and that you will come. You will say as we open the service, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come so that I will have God with me. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God. We cannot begin to fathom the wonder of this counselor. I pray that we will realize this morning that he is the one who has come to seek us, to save us, and to give us a sense of purpose and meaning that in spite of the distresses of life, we can live with a sense of destiny. Because when he was going back, he said that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, may the Spirit continue to do his work so that your word will not fall on hardened hearts this morning, but hearts that have been prepared to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.